It's episode 81, Annex Wealth Management's SWAT podcast, Monday, December 11th, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Ken Bellinger, Senior Trader. Welcome. Morning, Danny. And we got Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist. Welcome to you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all the listeners who keep coming back week after week. If you like what you hear, please do share with a friend, colleague, or family member. Now that the holidays are here, if you consider the value for the price, this is a pretty incredible gift for you to give to somebody. So let's get into some of the economic data. Looking backwards, employment situation report was probably one of the more interesting things in a while. We saw a beat in terms of the headline. 199,000 payrolls, wages rose 0.4% month on month. A lot of that could be explained by the United Auto Workers, their strike ending in October, going back to work in November. So maybe it's a little bit more noise as opposed to signal there. And so when I'm looking ahead to the upcoming week, what we have in store, FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee, that's smack dab in the middle. And that's probably also going to be the highlight where we get the statement coming out at one o'clock central time. New summary of economic projections, Chair Powell taking the stage at 1.30 to give his press conference. But really, you know, that's just Wednesday. It's bookended by what I think could be interesting data as well. We have the CPI, Consumer Price Index, for November on Tuesday. And Thursday, we get retail sales for November. So really a big data week ahead of us here. On the strength side, you know, we still see services really chucking along pretty well here. You have ISM services was at 52.7 in November, a bit of an improvement, and pretty broad-based across industries as well. So you know, overall, kind of a decent inflection there. Business activity also picked up a little bit to 55.1. New orders and employment, both above 50, which is you know, slightly more positive than neutral, but flat. And inventories jumping a little bit to 55.4. Looking at the job market, too, we're starting to see that coming back into balance a little bit. You kind of touch on this briefly, but job open openings decreased to 8.7 million as of you know the last day of October. Hires and separations pretty flat at 5.9 and 5.6 million. And really you're kind of seeing the, the labor market you know calcify a bit here, if you will. You know, openings fall and you know quits are kind of holding steady. So if you've got a good job, you know, the motivation to shop isn't necessarily there mm-hmm. like it used to be maybe even a year ago. Sure. And you know, the, the gains to that job hopping are you know, kind of disappearing a bit. Layoffs and discharges are holding up here. So, you know, if you're good at your job, companies are retaining good employees, but not really ramping up for, you know, future growth at the moment. Yeah, I I would say that one of the strengths that I've been seeing is that we've actually had somewhat pessimistic opinions of CEOs and CFOs over the last couple of years. There's been some data done on attitudes post-COVID. And Consumer sentiment has been very low. Business sentiment has also been low, despite the strong recovery. And in a way, maybe that pessimism could be a strength in the sense that a lot of the businesses, maybe they didn't get too much ahead of themselves in terms of hiring more people than what they wanted, investing in speculative activities. And so if we do get some sort of slowdown, that perhaps they're positioned pretty well to ride through it. Typically, what you would see in kind of a strong, you know, economic backdrop, right? As you said, companies wrapping up for growth. Maybe we're a little bit less concerned on the cost side and more focused on growing, you know, the top line. But coming out of COVID, I think there's a lot of reluctance to your point. So any pullback here, I think you're seeing you know, overall, right? You know, any individual company can be different, but corporations in a much stronger position than you know perhaps where they would have been in a 
previous boom market, if you will. True, true. And maybe that's also then given rise to some market strength as far as a buy the dip mentality. I know we like to take a look at a lot of the technicals as far as thinking about what's going on in the trading world. And you're much closer to that than I am. Have you noticed anything as far as like strength or resistance, support, different things to maybe be on the lookout for? Yeah. So we've seen some weakness lately out of the, the Magnificent Seven stocks. And by weakness, I don't mean we've seen necessarily a dramatic decline, but really what we have seen, and I, I think Jason talked about it in the, the last SWAT podcast with the alligator jaws kind of closing where you know, the laggards of the market have been kind of catching up here. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're really seeing market breadth improve, which is usually a, you know, a, a good sign for the for the long term. You're not just, you know, like we saw most of this year, just, you know, seven companies running away and hiding, mm-hmm. if you will. It's kind of what we're seeing from a technical perspective, at least on the equity side. Yeah. And as far as that breadth that we're beginning to see in the market, sadly, we're not seeing as much of that breadth in the economy. Uh, one of the things that I was looking at in the employment situation report, and this is in table B of the data release for those who want to play along at home, you go all the way to the bottom and it gives you these nice diffusion indices about private sector industries as to the percentage of them that are increasing employment and those that are decreasing. Manufacturing, it's less than 50% of the companies have been increasing employment. And so the breadth of private sector employment has really been narrowing to fewer and fewer areas. From a broader perspective, it's mainly been driven by government hiring and healthcare, which aren't exactly all that interest rate sensitive sensitive or economically sensitive either. So maybe, you know, one of the weaknesses is that we've got narrowing breadth with economic gains. And I think that also we're seeing that on the consumer side where people are beginning to tighten that belt a little bit where there's that evidence of the trade down mentality. I know that last week, the team talked about the buy now, pay later phenomenon. (laughs) And uh, that was rather humorous. If you didn't listen to that, please do go back and listen to that episode. But we are seeing consumers doing more of the buy now, pay later. The data on that, it showed a jump in 17% year on year uh, in November to about 10 billion. Now, 10 billion is not a lot, (laughs) right, in terms of retail sales or anything. But it is, I think, one of these other small data points suggesting that people are beginning to get a little bit more price conscious. Are you seeing that at all in anything that you're taking a look at? We're certainly seeing that, right? You know, just going through just a couple of brief earnings reports, right? You know, James Smucker, who makes you know, peanut butter, that's the kind of the, the big product. They've got some other things as well. But, you know, they beat Q2 expectations, you know, help by higher prices, lower input costs, and they're buying Twinkies. So that's exciting for some of us. <laughs> I, I love a good Twinkie, especially you freeze them. They're amazing. It's a solid trick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if you take away anything from this podcast, make it make sure it's that. <laughs> but we also saw AutoZone, you know, their profits rose about 10%, which is better than expected. Lots of you know, DIY kits, if you will, benefiting from you know, people maintaining vehicles instead of, you know, I hear a weird noise, I'm just going to trade this in, right? But you know, that was probably way too common of a phenomenon, I think, but you're starting to see people, you know, pull back on that a bit and used car prices are down pretty significantly too. So that the ability to trade in, like, you know, maybe you could have even last year. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a lot tougher because you haven't seen new prices really decline. Sure. Yeah. And anecdotally on that, I know that there's also the chip shortage phenomenon Mm -hmm. that is still affecting the auto industry. Although I've heard that it's more as far as with like key fobs, if you get a new car, sometimes it comes with two 
right? I think that's the standard, but they might only give you one with the fob and then you actually have to come back and pick up the other one. So they're not exactly prioritizing, giving you both of those keys, but that does seem that's another one of those kind of post-COVID supply chain things is beginning to clear up, but it's still kind of a, a slow slog. I imagine that a lot of people are finding it challenging to get good financing anymore on some of those new vehicles. So that's probably a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think if you've got stellar credit, you're probably looking at, you know, at best a six handle, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe a seven. And, you know, if you're average credit, you know, you might be looking at double digits. That's that's a lot to swallow on, you know, an average price of, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollar vehicle these days. Like that's sure. Yeah, that's certainly an impact. Other earnings I'll just briefly mention, Brown Foreman cut its sales forecast. And then Chewy, right, which is a huge pet supplier, their stock fell after cut their guidance and citing declining pet adoptions as a headwind. You know, I think in COVID, you know, everyone kind of got lonely, even putting the economic part of it aside, right? But there's this phenomenon of you know, if we can't be socializing, right? Mm-hmm. I want something to socialize with. So lots of dogs and adoptions really, there was a strong ramp up, you know, just locally. I remember if you know, looked at our local humane societies during COVID, like, you know, there'd be like five dogs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. There were slim pickings there at the shelter, which was a wonderful thing to see. But yeah. sadly, that's reversed. And now a lot of the shelters, they're full again, because people realize that when they, you do have a dog, it's a responsibility. You have to be there to feed it, take it out. You can't just go out and do whatever you want. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's both a, the, the blessing and the curse of having a pet. And it was great during COVID, but people are realizing that it is a responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. One last weakness I'll kind of mention here is we've seen a lot of weakness in the energy markets lately, mm-hmm. although, you know, on, on Friday, it looked like a little bit of a rebound. But we've seen crude actually head into a, a little bit of contango, which is a phenomenon where, you know, the future price is actually higher than the current price, which is not something we've seen for quite some time, um, at least in a prolonged period. We did briefly have this in 2022, but that's really a sign of, you know, it's usually a pretty bearish signal for sure. for the energy markets yeah, overall. It, it, can you elaborate a little bit more on contango? Um, the first time that I ever saw it, the, that word, I remember thinking of Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, can you do the Fandango, Thunderbolt and Lightning? Very, very frightening. Uh, but no, it's not Fandango, right? And I don't even know what that is. Is that a dance or something? But uh, Contango is something in the futures market, right? So it's not necessarily what we think of as the spot market where you buy something for immediate delivery. This is a relationship between current prices in the spot market and then futures prices where you can lock those in for future delivery. Can you elaborate a little bit more on contango and maybe backwardation, what those mean? Again, this is all in the futures market, right? So it's agreeing to purchase something you know, in the future, like you said, you know, for the six month crude contract, if you're agreeing to purchase crude six months out at a price that's established today. And what contango is, is when you've got the current price or the spot price is lower than what the future price is, right? So in essence, what that kind of does to the market is you're motivated to frankly hold what you've got, right? Because why would I sell this today at a lower price when I can wait six months and sell it at a higher price, right? Um, And then backwardation is quite literally just the opposite of that, where the current price is higher than what you could get in the future. So you're motivated to produce and sell as much as possible. Yeah. And I love this as far as how the futures market can be used as a signal as to whether or not the market for that commodity may be oversupplied or undersupplied, where if it's in contango, it's encouraging people to store things in the ground. And if it's oil, the best place to store it is in the ground, or as far as just don't pump, wait to deliver it into the future. And so maybe you 
are oversupplied currently, so supply more in the future instead. Whereas if it's in backwardation, hey, let's pull forward some of that production to bring it onto the spot market. Now, why might that be a concern as far as contango? Um, I look at it as far as, well, if things are slowing down, right? Why have so much supply now? Why not wait? And so I kind of look at it from a macro perspective as to maybe an indicator of some sort of expectation of slowing economic growth. Is that pretty consistent with the way you look at it? Yeah, that's absolutely the way to look at it, right? It's, you know, we expect slow growth and really low demand today with, in theory, increased demand in the future. And that's where you see these, these price deviations, right? And there's also some other things that factor in, like if the oil's already pumped, mm-hmm. right? There's a cost to actually you know, store and carry that oil, right? So that factors into it a little bit, but on the whole, I think that that's the right way to look at it. We kind of had this line in the sand of $70 oil, and we did briefly dip below that, and then we crossed back above it on Friday. You know, there was two things that were supposed to be supporting that level, right? One was OPEC plus, mm-hmm. right, which was... They increased their cuts if you listen to the to the you know the final result, but there is a lot of trouble getting there, and there's not as much market faith that that's going to be reality going forward. That you might see some overproduction from a handful of countries. The reality is, there's only there only is a small handful of countries that can actually overproduce, but there's concern that that will happen. And then the second thing was the SPR reserve domestically, um, and the EIA came out last week and said, due to some maintenance, really for a while, we're limited to only buying about three million barrels a month because that's how much. You know, just from a logistics perspective, we can actually put back into storage. Mm-hmm. So those two things kind of hand in hand really weighed on the the energy market this week. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And if there is that weakness about a slow slide into stagnation or slower growth, and if China's having a hard time getting some footing, you know, maybe it does mean that the demand for oil going forward is going to be somewhat challenged as well. One last point I'll bring before we move on, because I don't want to make this oil podcast necessarily, but a lot of the data is nebulous at best, mm-hmm. right? You know, what's Russia truly producing? What are they truly exporting? It's hard to say. There's a lot of dark shipments going on globally. You know, there's some of that still from you know Iran. And you know, the other wrinkle is what is China actually importing? Mm-hmm. It's tough to have a lot of faith in those numbers, which really kind of throws things a bit as well. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, in terms of some of the opportunities, if we kind of shift to that a little bit, I think one of the big opportunities that I'm really looking at is the big move that we've seen in interest rates from above 5% on the 10-year down towards around like, say, four and a quarter or something like that. That was a big move. But if we are going into a period of slower growth, Right now, it looks like inflation is mostly under control and on that glide path, a very, very shallow glide path, perhaps towards the Fed's 2% target. It might take a while to get there. It could mean that we're entering this environment where bonds could diversify stocks again uh, for a while when the big fear is inflation. That means stocks and bonds will oftentimes move down together because if it's inflation driving the markets, it's not great for bonds and it's not fantastic for stocks either. But if it's now more about growth fears instead of inflation, I think that this actually presents some sort of opportunity to try to get back into balance. If you feel like you've been huddling in cash or cash equivalents, you know, consider tiptoeing back into more of a balanced approach to investing. And so I'm thinking that as far as an opportunity, that may be one of the big ones as far as make a New Year's resolution, perhaps to try to get back into balance for 2024. Yeah, absolutely. And you, the way I've been trying to think about it, and frankly, thank you for kind of, you know, instilling this into, you know, the, the broader addicts, um, 
you know, lexicon, if you will, is this idea of a new regime that mm-hmm. we're, we expect to be entering in 2024, how significantly, right, to be determined, but moving from, you know, rate hikes to rate stabilization to rate cuts where, you know, the market is expecting the first one in March and up to five through December of next year. Perhaps that's a bit aggressive. Perhaps it's under aggressive, right? A lot of that will be dictated by data and what we see economically coming through 2024. But to that point, you know, thinking about rebalancing your portfolio or perhaps putting some cash to work, you know, I, I bet a lot of people right now are feeling, you know, with that dramatic decline we've seen in the tenure, if you're sitting in the money market, right, right, did I miss it, mm-hmm. right? Is it too late? And I would say the answer is probably not, mm-hmm. right? I don't think we're going to be sitting at, you know, four and a quarter, four and a half, ten year forever, mm-hmm. right? So, yes, you missed that leg, but I suspect there'll be opportunity to sure. continue to work forward, right? And again, overall, it's about keeping that long-term perspective in mind, right? You know, are we allocated properly for our risk tolerance? What are our goals? What are our objectives? And focusing more on that and maybe worrying a little bit less of, well, it just rose, yeah, or we just missed this leg, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the regret, you know, and then the regret leads you to not take action, which then leads to further regret. <laughs> and so that's a, a tough spiral to get yourself out of. Yeah, I think it also leads to maybe a threat, uh, which is with the Federal Reserve, you had mentioned about the market pricing in the first cut around March. Personally, I think that's a little aggressive. I think that they are going to probably wait. They say that they're data dependent. That typically means they want to have, you know, three months in a row of like sequential declines in inflation, maybe sequential declines in economic activity before they start changing their tune a little bit. So they might be a little bit slow where perhaps June or September could be the first time that they start contemplating an actual cut. They might telegraph it well before that. And it all depends upon why they're cutting. Are they behind the curve as far as, oh, we held rates too long? Is it because they feel like they're cutting at an appropriate pace to keep pace really with inflation dropping? Because if they don't actually cut rates as inflation falls, they are effectively passively restricting economic activity. And I think that's one of the big dangers is the data dependency means that investors are increasingly nervous and really heightenedly focused on what could be noisy data. The economic data, it comes out with a lag and it's subject to revisions. And so you might actually get a lot more noise trading going on just because the Fed hasn't articulated a coherent view about how to set policy going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I especially think kind of early in that process that that'll be especially true. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps once we're kind of into this cycle of cuts, whenever that happens to start, you know, maybe some of that dissipates a little bit, but I think there'll be a lot of people trying to forecast or right, guess the first cut. And a lot of that, to your point, is going to be dependent on inflation data. And a lot of inflation data is going to be dependent on, you know, obviously supply and demand. But we still got all these supply chain, you know, constraints globally, mm-hmm. right? Just with the geopolitical environment we're in, you know, food and energy are two big constituents of that. We spend enough time on energy, but on the, well, I'll say on the supply side, right, it's tight. It still is a bit tight. Food, you know, we've still got the situation in Ukraine. They're a major producer of grain. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, we've started to see a couple of countries like China and India ban some exports. It wouldn't take a whole lot to throw a wrench into that plan, I that's guess. That's right. Yep. Yep. A lot more volatility, likely. So uh, I think that's probably it as far as the, the, the deep dive on the SWAT. All right. Let's uh, wrap things up with our headlines. Headline strength this week, guys. I think for me, the headline strength is, you know, the buy the dip reflex seems to be strong. Headline weakness. 
The slow slide into stagnation. Headline opportunity. Get back into balance. Headline threat. Data dependence equals skittish investors. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It's episode 81. Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Thanks. Thank you. Dr. Brian Jacobs and chief economist, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.